he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ today. We're glad that you have chosen to join us for this week's sermon of the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene. God's Word is full of timeless truths that are relevant to our lives today. Here's this week's message. In a moment, I'm going to read to you from Obadiah. We are in the middle of a series right now where we are kind of going through the minor prophets and hearing what word that they might have for us. This series is focusing on the idea that God's Holy Spirit indeed still works in our life and makes prophets out of all of us. That is, makes us into become bearers of God's good news, of God's plan for His world, and that we might indeed find through the words of the prophets something still for us Today, when I uh, first started reading the Bible, and for several, several years afterwards, whenever I would get to the minor prophets, I'd read them and go, all right, I have no clue what that was about, but I read it. <laughs> now, now I'll go on to the next one. <laughs> and that was how I read the minor prophets. I didn't, you guys, anyone else relate? Like that's, that's how I read the minor prophets. All right, I read it. Don't, don't understand it at all. And so it's kind of nice to kind of take a moment to, to hear if there's a word for them uh, 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 out that we might be able to take and apply to our life. And so Obadiah is this, is this small, uh, just one chapter, just 21 verses. It's right before Jonah, if you, if you want to look for it in your Bibles. And today, a lot of times when I, I go through a passage of Scripture, I'll kind of like, Oftentimes I'll kind of walk through, do a couple verses, do a couple verses, do a couple verses, just kind of go through the story. Even if I skip some along the way, I'm just kind of going verse by verse a lot of times. With this message, I'm going to do a bird's eye view or like a mountaintop view. We're just kind of kind of read the passage and then just kind of look over it. And so if you want to put your finger there and, and have an eye at it during the course of the message and be like, okay, there's some individual examples. I know what he's talking about. Feel free to do that. But I want to read for you today from Obadiah, and his words are, um, are tough words for, uh, for a neighbor. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We've heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against it for battle. I will surely make you least among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. Your proud heart has deceived you. You that live in the clefts of the rock, whose dwelling is in the heights. You say in your heart, well, who will bring me down down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers by night, oh, how you have been destroyed, would they not steal only what they wanted? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures searched out. All your allies have deceived you. They have driven you to the border. Your confederates have prevailed against you. Those who ate your bread have set a trap for you. There is no understanding of it. On that day, says the Lord, I will destroy the wise out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau. Your warriors shall be shattered, O Taman, so that everyone from Mount Esau will be cut off. For the slaughter and violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you. and You shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aside 
on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you too were like one of them. But you should not have gloated over your brother on the day of his misfortune. You should not have rejoiced over the people of Judah on the day of their ruin. You should not have boasted on the day of distress. You should not have entered the gate of my people on the day of their calamity. You should not have joined in the gloating over Judah's disaster on the day of his calamity. You should not have looted his goods on the day of his calamity. You should not have stood at the crossings to cut off fugitives. You should not have handed over his survivors on the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near against all the nations, and as you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head, for you have drunk on my holy mountain, and all the nations around you shall drink. They shall drink and gulp down, and shall be as though they had never been. But on Mount Zion there shall be those that escape, and it shall be holy, and the house of Jacob shall take possession of those who dispossessed them. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau, those of the Shephelah, the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of the Israelites who are in Halah shall possess Phoenicia as far as Zarephah, and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad. Well, they shall possess the towns of the Negev. Those who have been saved shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. There was a saying that I heard a lot in my youth. Most of the time it came from my cousin, and that saying was this, blood is thicker than water. Have you ever heard that? Blood is thicker than water. Someone snickers. Someone knows when people most often say that. When my cousin said that word, it was always, I've gotten into trouble, (laughs) and I need to know if you have my back. (laughs) Blood is thicker than water. We are cousins. We, we stick together. You have to take my side. You can't take someone else's side or help them or support them. Blood is thicker than water. That's usually what he meant when he said that. There is nothing quite like feeling let down by someone you trust or someone who is family. Indeed, there is nothing more tragic than seeing a family tear themselves apart, particularly at a gathering, like a funeral when they should be getting together. Or if there's a family reunion that's supposed to be a celebration and one family starts bad-mouthing another family, start airing all their dirty laundry. When when, when they start picking friends over each other, there's just something that just innately, there's something wrong here. That's not how families are supposed to be. You're supposed to trust each other, have each other's back, and help each other. Uh, in our scriptures, there's a famous family, two brothers, story that's told again and again, very popular in, in the story of Genesis. It, it sets up the whole precedent for uh, so many Old Testament, New Testament stories, and indeed for the prophet Obadiah. It's the story of Jacob and Esau. Esau and Jacob are twins. Esau is the firstborn, just barely. Jacob is right on his heels, the scripture says. Uh, he's born second by je- seconds. 
In fact, they, he call, they give him the name. He's the heel grabber. That's how like, close this birth is. Custom at the time said among children, the firstborn gets the preference and the favoritism. They're usually the ones who are blessed when the father dies to get the first pick of the property and the assets when their father passes away. And in the case of a promise or a blessing, particularly if like that family member feels like they have received a blessing from God, that blessing would be passed on to the firstborn. They would become beneficiaries of that promise. That's the cultural background we find in the story of Genesis, of Esau and Jacob. Esau, his description, he is red-haired, strong, mighty, powerful, attractive. He is, he is the technical firstborn, and he is, he's ruddy, and he's handsome. Like Imagine Robert Redford in his youth. It's just, all right, there, there we go, that's Esau. Jacob, the heel grabber, he is slick, he's smooth, he's sly, he stands at the back, he, he's just working out plans. He's, he's like today's Tom Hiddleston's Loki or something like that. It's like, maybe I should have just, just stayed with Marvel here. You know, Esau's like Thor and uh, uh, Chris Hemsworth. And uh, Jacob is, is the other guy. Unlike identical twins, these two are fraternal. They don't look alike, they don't act alike, they are opposites. Esau checks all the dad's boxes. Strong, able body, works hard, goes out, hunts, bring back, brings back the food, the game. He has dad's pride and joy. Just, just wonderful. Jacob becomes mom's favorite child. They work together. They cook some of the most amazing stew. And at a time when Esau comes in from the hunt and he's famished and he's tired and he's hungry, he smells this wonderful food. He's like, oh, good, I want that. And Jacob says, oh, if you give me your birthright, if you let me be the recipient of the blessing, you can have it. And Esau, I just imagine, he's like, what are you talking about? Just give me the food. I'm hungry, you scrawny little thing. Give me that bowl of stew. And he's like, I want the birthright. And he's like, okay, whatever. Dad's never going to give it to you anyway. Fine. And he eats the stew and he takes it. And, uh, and, and he thinks, you know, I can't imagine Esau thinks this is a serious transaction. He probably thinks, I just got away with a great bowl of stew. Now, their father Isaac, Isaac the son of Abraham, Isaac is blind. And a scheme is worked out. And you can read this, where Jacob pretends to be Esau at the formal time when Isaac is going to bless Esau. And Jacob goes in and pretends to be his son. You can read all the details in Genesis. And he steals the blessing. And Esau finds out that when he thought he got away with the stew, he didn't, because his son got away with the blessing. And at this apparent slight, the story tells us he starts chasing Jacob around the land, and Jacob starts living in fear, worried about the army, his brothers rising up against him and threatening to kill him. And we find in Genesis, Jacob indeed does become blessed of God, and he gets the name Israel from God. Jacob becomes Israel. And Jacob's children will become the patriarchs to the 12 tribes of Israel. Esau's children will settle south of that land, south of Israel, and then later on when they have their civil war and they split and Judah's below them, south of Judah, and they become known as Edom, or the Edomites, a tribe that the people of Israel will have several run-ins in, lots of battles with later on in their existence, and they will constantly kind of fight and war against each other. Now, I don't know about you, but I remember growing up that brothers, and I had two brothers, brothers can fight and bicker all that they want, 
But if someone else messes with your brother, uh-uh, that can't happen. And so I did that, and I was the oldest, and I was frankly a little bit of a bully to my, uh, uh, to my next oldest uh, brother. He was younger than me. And, uh, but, you know, we were brothers. That's what we did. But on the playground, if someone else messed with him, well, that can't happen. In fact, I still remember. This was, this was growing up as a Gen Xer. This, this doesn't happen anymore, and for good reason. But I remember someone fighting with my brother, and, uh, and my brother starting to get the upper hand. And when that kid's older brother steps in, I was like, well, I can't let that happen. I can't just watch. I have to step in now. And that was how things were done. Growing up in the backyard for 30-some years ago, when Israel, as a nation, is carried off into exile, this is what happens at the end of the book of Kings, when they're carried off in the exile and the Babylonians come and take Judah away and they destroy their land, and they're looking for help, and they're wondering, who's going to save us? Who's going to help us when this big bully comes in from elsewhere and comes and wipes out our land and destroys us? Who's going to help us? And they're crying out, hoping that someone would step in and help them. And the prophet Obadiah believes, well, Edom should have been an ally. They could have come to the aid. After all, their kin, their brothers, it's Esau and Jacob, it's Esau and Israel, their brothers. And even though it's many generations later, they're cousins. Remember what I said at the beginning, my cousin taught me blood is thicker than water. Edom should have come to their aid. But they didn't come to their aid. In fact, they just watched. Well, they didn't just watch if the words of the prophet Obadiah are to be trusted. They looked at their misfortune and they gloated. When they, had, when they were robbed, they said, oh, what else is there to take? They took advantage of their loss. Did the exact opposite of helping out their brother. At this point in time, they're cousins, fifth, sixth, and seventh. But nonetheless, they are family. And so these words of Obadiah are a curse. They are a cry out from those who have been abandoned to destruction, who look out and say, I don't know where else to turn. My li- our, our life is at its end. Where else can we turn? And the one place we might have gone, they turn their back on us. And Edom throughout this prophecy is called Esau. Named after the person who is their ancestor and the brother of their forefather, Jacob. On the one hand, this prophecy indicates, as he is talking to a nation that there is a national imperative by the prophet to watch out for your neighbor. There is an imperative upon the nations to fight injustice, to, to care about when tragedy befalls another country. Not to watch idly by, certainly not to mock their misfortune, certainly not to take advantage of it for your own gain. That the nations are supposed to take care of each other in this world. But additionally, this passage... By, being, by calling the land Esau and often making reference to their mountain, Mount Esau, and even using the name of Esau's son, Taman, in this passage, they are calling out the interrelations that exist among the nations. We're family. We're joined together. They are brothers, and it's a reminder that we are all brothers in this world. Even now, we exist among a people who have immigrated for thousands of years and come into this place. We've intermarried for thousands of years. We're all ancestors. We're all brothers. We all have a common humanity. 
I mean, the way I can think about it is when St. Patrick's Day comes, what do we all say? We're all Irish, right? St. Patrick's Day, we're all Irish. Cinco de Mayo, we're all brothers of independence. We all, we all understand that common drive and desire. We recognize that there is a common humanity among the nations. So when Obadiah gives the nation a name of someone whose family, that's what he's saying. The prophet Obadiah reminds us we can never look at another group of people and mock them for being who they are. Never look at another group of people and mock them for how different they are, for their downfall, or when hard times come their way. To do so is to situate ourselves among the very people the prophet is cursing here. Among the people the prophet is warning against. To judge our neighbor as unworthy of grace is instead to put us in a position to miss out on grace. The prophet Obadiah will end up reminding the nations that the call to love our neighbor that comes from Deuteronomy is a call that transgresses borders and boundaries. It's not just for people like us. It is for all the world. It is a reminder that we never get to look at another group and think that they are somehow less than who we are. There's no room for such thoughts in a Christian faith either. So the words of condemnation on Esau and Edom are precisely the same things that have happened to Israel. He's not just saying, hey, someday this is going to happen to you too. He's saying, I hope everything that's happened to us happens to you because, again, this is the cry of someone who has nothing left and just saying, and you took advantage of me. It's as if he's saying, as you have judged, so shall you be judged. As if he's saying, you didn't forgive us the debts and trespasses. God's not going to forgive your debts and trespasses. This is not a word about a mystical future that might happen to this land. It is a condemnation of their unholy behavior. A behavior of indifference. A behavior of superiority. And so when I ask, well, what does that then mean for us to hear this prophet today? It means wherever we face indifference, wherever we face superiority in our own communities, that we have to recognize that God indeed calls us to intervene and not to ignore it. It means where we see weakness, where we see someone being taken advantage of, we don't just say, well, glad it isn't me. <laughs> But we become the one who says, that isn't right. We become the whistle. We become the one who says, no, this is not okay. It means when someone sins against another, that we don't sweep it under the rug, but we call it out and say, no, this isn't just and this isn't right. The prophet Obadiah reminds us in our lives, we don't get to pretend we're just individuals separated from each other who just kind of like bump up against each other from time to time. No, we actually need each other. Our lives are intertwined. They're interlocked. And we are called to work together and indeed to see each other as brothers and sisters. And this interlining and intertwining of life is exemplified in exactly who Jesus is and our testimony about God's love for the world. That God, though could have just continued to be separate and be distinct from who we are, said, no, I'm going to enter into this world, into the darkness and into the sin and into everything that's happening and say, I want my will and my life intertwined with these people. 
with my creation, and we find exactly that in Jesus Christ. We have a God who doesn't stay distant from us, but says, I am with you every step of the way, and I speak with you and against the powers that would tear down, and I have a plan and a purpose to lift you up. And in the same way then as Christians, we hear the, the words of Obadiah and we say, yes, this is how Jesus has taught us to live, to love and to care for those who have been rejected, forsaken, or forgotten. And we will be faithful to the call that God has laid upon our life and indeed find that this is God's will for a world that he has created and an answer to the sin that exists and the powers at work. Let us embrace indeed that call and find that the words of Obadiah are a word that reminds us, intercede, act on behalf. Wherever you see, help is needed and God's grace is necessary. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Today we hear this passage and find indeed that you have called us to see each other as brothers and sisters. And I think sometimes in our lives we have preferential treatment. And I can't help but think that in the words of the gospel that we read a moment ago, when we say, well, what do we do do with the words of Jesus? talking about splitting families, I can't help but think that is precisely because the whole family dynamic has expanded. That you have called us to love and care in such a way that we are no longer consolidating and taking and taking advantage of for our own sake. Heavenly Father, help us to see that in Jesus Christ, He indeed emptied Himself, became nothing, became obedient even unto death for us, for our salvation, and that we too can share this love, this openness, this welcome with a world that is hurting, a world that is trying to figure out how to go on. And Heavenly Father, we pray that through it all we would see You are the God who blesses and keeps us. You are the God who is with us. Thank you again for this day and for this word that you are still calling us to be advocates of grace in this world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. We hope this sermon has encouraged you with the gospel of Jesus. More sermons are available online at our website, capenazarene.org. May God bless you abundantly as you serve Him today.